Coming up next, the Booking Reads King Lear. Got a box of potato chips right there. Welcome to the King Lear. <laughs> oh boy, I'm starting like that. Yeah, welcome to the King Lear. We're reading the bookening today, <laughs> and my name is Shakespeare. Yep. <laughs> Over there, we've got Radiohead. Hey, beep, how you boop. doing, Radiohead? Beep boop. And, what about uh, Radiohead? Brandon Chastine, the pastor who bleeds or something. Here's the truth, folks. Because I'm a man that likes to tell the truth. We are eating Grippo's gourmet barbecue spice potato chips right now. So if you don't like to hear people eat. We don't usually do this. One of our best episodes, though, featured Jake eating chips, and that was the Star Wars episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Merry Xmas, Star Wars is over, I believe it was cleverly titled. And in that one, Jake comes in maybe five minutes late, and he's eating tortilla chips. So we can only hope to best that episode by having all three of us eat <coughs> Grippo's Amazing Gourmet Barbecue Spice. Tell us about these chips, Jake. These were a, a favorite of mine growing up. You can find them in my hometown of Evansville, Indiana. Evansville, Indiana, Yes. I think Grippos comes from Cincinnati. So Southern Indiana, Northern Kentucky, Grippos are a thing. They're these sweet, hot potato chips that are absolutely delicious and addictive. They're like crack. Every time I go home for uh, to visit family, my stepmom gives me a big box of them. They come mm-hmm. in bags too, but she gives me this great big box. It's amazing. One and a half pound box of Grippos. That's great. come back with them. They're just unashamedly what they are. There's nothing of substance or of health about these. They are just simply probably quite bad potato chips that have been hugely salted with this sweet, hot barbecue salt stuff. The Grippo flavoring in and of itself is something that you can buy. So you can't go along with a Grippo. And you got to love the regional stuff that pops up around the Kentucky area. AL8, personal favorite of mine. AL81, yeah. AL81, yeah. What's that? AL81, Brandon? You never had an AL81? Uh-uh. Well, you just missed the best thing that the Midwest has to offer. Actually, it's not that great. That's, but it's, it's really very not, nostalgic. It's really not that great, but it is that. Mm. Yeah, what? that's Amanda. Is For me, it's more Grippos. For Amanda, it's more AL81. What is AL81? It's like, it's a, like a ginger ale. Ginger ale, yeah. But it's a special formula, and it's it's a Northern Kentucky thing, I think. We used to go to Ichthus Music Festival, and folks, we're going to talk about literature, but you know whatever we've already uh, done this episode once we've so. already done this episode once. literature is born out of local experience as we're going to talk about with dickens and so therefore and shakespeare, and shakespeare yeah because we still have to talk about lear first right that's we're going to talk about that with lear not so Today. much but sure but, we'll, but, we'll, we'll, we're bringing it up now right exactly <laughs> so we're talking about the poetry of jake's life mm-hmm. and this is serious poetry people grippo's barbecue flavor pa- yeah, yeah yeah and al81 is a ginger ale that i used to get when I would go down to Ichthus Music Festival, which I think doesn't happen anymore, but it was a big Christian musical festival where all the crummy Christian bands would play on big stages. And we would go, uh, I was in seventh or eighth grade, our Christian school would go and we'd stay in tents. And it was a little bit like Christian Christian Woodstock, a little bit less nudity, as I only, recall. Only slightly. Only slightly. I went yeah. to it once. Yeah. Jake can tell you some stories, but he ain't going to tell them on this podcast. No way. That makes him sound more, Jake, Jake didn't do anything too naughty. But... The point is, I used to go to the Sixthus thing, and you know they'd have a bunch of you could buy your testaments, and you know they had a bunch of 
crappy Christian stuff, but they also had delicious AL8 that you could get because it was in Kentucky where this festival was held. So it has a certain nostalgia. It brings me back to a time in my life when I hated myself and uh, had pimples <laughs> and was really, really skinny. Uh, if you gave me $10 million, I would not go back to that time in my life. So I don't know why I have any nostalgia for it. One of those things that nostalgia is the better part of its virtue. Right. One of those things. Now, if that's not poetry, we said you were going to get some po- some regional poetry. One of those things that nostalgia is the better part of its virtue is what Jake just said. That actually could be a poetic line right yeah, there. A I, line in poetry. Put that on a t-shirt, people. Maybe yeah. I should put these away before we die. Probably. All right, Jake's putting away the grippos, folks. There go the chips. That? Yep. Why eat a hippo when instead you could eat a grippo? Don't make a slippo <laughs> when you should instead eat a grippo. So just why don't you nippo in the butto your lack of grippo? Your lack of grippo. Sputto. Sputto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would was... love to have that grippo salt. That'd be fantastic. That'd be amazing. All right, speaking, speaking of fantastic and amazing. Yep. First of all, this transition, because I'm transitioning us into Shakespeare from Grippos. Thank you. Thank you. Second of all, Shakespeare himself, he's fantastic and amazing. And so is King Lear. Yeah. And my favorite, one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. One of your favorite Shakespeare plays. And guess what? What? I stand by that. You stand by that after reading it? After reading it and watching the Ian McKellen version, yeah. Yes. I, I stand by that. I stand by it specifically after watching the Ian McKellen version, which really helped me. Okay, well, my baggage with Shakespeare in general, which I don't know whether I've ever been this frank about it, is I always find him to be the most difficult thing to do on the darn bookening program every year because he's supposed to be the best. He's supposed to be the best, and he is the best. I love Shakespeare, but I always want to take a step back and really ask the question of why. Like, what makes Billy S. better than your Christopher Marlowe? Or then you're Jane Austen, for that matter. Or then you're mm. everybody. If he's like the best, if he really is just like the best that the English-speaking language and literature has to offer, like, what is it about that? What is it that's so... Mr. Lasting and wonderful. Yeah, so lasting and wonderful. And so you say, well, you know, he did, he did this and he did this. He had good language and he invented words and... Yeah, but it's like, what is that magic that I always think about T.S. Eliot uh, in his, or not T.S. Eliot. I think I made this mistake the first time we recorded this episode. I think about, uh, what's that guy's name? Strunk and White. Think about Mr. White. White. E.B. White. He wrote in his little essay at the end of Elements of Style, Mm -hmm. he talks about how uh, people have read Elements of Style, right? If you haven't, you should read it. It ends with him talking about what makes a certain phrase pop why why are certain things memorable why are certain turns of phrase classics and why and then and he takes a very famous one uh, these are the times that tries men's souls and he just rearranges it times like these try men's souls these are trying times soul wise he does like five or six of those and he says why is the one that lasted the one that lasted and why are the others all lame why do they just kind of sit there why don't they crackle and you can throw various theories but at the end of the day white just kind of has to shrug his shoulders and say well we can talk about cadence we can talk about rhythm we can talk about putting the most important word at the end or the beginning we can talk about all that stuff at the end this one has magic so i always want to ask like what is it about shakespeare what is it about king lear you can read any number of depressing plays with great language 
written by any number of authors. You can you can read The Jew of Malta, Brandon. You could. That's depressing. And it's got a villain and bad stuff happens and things happen yep. and there's beautiful language. What is it about? And there's nothing, nothing wrong with The Jew of Malta. Mm-hmm. So what is it about Shakespeare? What is it about a King Lear that, mm-hmm. that pops? So every year we kind of circle around this and... I try and, and make, we don't have an answer like E.B. White didn't have an answer. Right. And so now you want us to have an answer. Now I want well, you I think know. part of it is that the mystery of language, the je ne sais quoi mm-hmm. <laughs> of the phrase that we can't quite understand why it is like, um, what's the famous line from Lear? The, well, lots of different famous lines, but the how the bitter child, the, how bitter it is to have a child, a thankless child. How bitter it is to have a thankless child. Yeah. Yeah. That one? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, but I hear it. Since we're talking about it, we might as well get it right. Oh, yeah. Go ahead and read it for us, Nathan. While you're looking it up, but the point being that when you, if you don't say it the way Shakespeare has it written, then it doesn't have the same magic that it does in Shakespeare. And so yeah. th- that definitely is true. That's part of Shakespeare's. He just had this cadence and rhythm and ability to say, do you find it? How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Yeah. And it can't just be a phrase that's balanced and beautiful on its own. It also has to be a phrase that works then in the play, too. And it's because of the context of that character saying it. And like one more, once more to the breach, all those things. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm never quite satisfied. I want to start with let's just talk about this Ian McKellen version of Lear because I think it highlights part of what's magical about Shakespeare. What's great about this ad- particular adaptation... Did we say we watched the Ian McKellen is available on Prime? Yeah, it's on Prime. You can you can go watch it. Um, and it's a very full version as opposed it's to the... the com- it's the complete play, top to bottom. Yeah, well, it looks like they actually had... It looks like it's probably what it is, is a... There was a stage version that they were either doing or that was popular mm-hmm. at the and time. And they barely they, dressed it they, up. They just dressed it up and basically filmed the stage version. Yeah. 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 Mm. Everything in this adaptation of Lear is, is focused on the dialogue. It's focused on the words. And it's just the words being performed with understanding. Yes. And it doesn't depend on sound or lights. It doesn't depend on anything else. And it doesn't try to. And it makes no pretension to. It's about the words that are being spoken. And there are some times when it's difficult to hear because of the mix, you know, with wind or rain or something like that. But for the most part, they're really just bringing the words to life with fine readings, with fine line readings, with fine performances of the words. It, what's striking is that that's what makes the play work. Mm-hmm. They just read the lines. They perform the lines. If you think about that, and you think about the limitations of what Shakespeare had to work with in terms of his actors, in terms of what he had at the Globe, sound and lights and whatever else, um, he didn't have a whole lot, but he had words. So it's sort of, in a way, idiot-proofing everything. And every every play seems centered around these big speeches and these big bits of dialogue that all cohere in a way that, that works and tracks top to bottom mm-hmm. for the most part, but it's really about those speeches. What's cool about a lot of those speeches, especially the really great ones, is how many different ways there are of performing them. When we <clears throat> talked about this last time, we talked about this, uh, and I always bring up this interview, and I, I think it was Tom. No, Tom that's actually what I was going to get. And he talks about how he doesn't have to actually bring anything to the text. Mm. 
and he can perform them however he wants to. And so he, he uses an example and he gives like five or six line different way takes on Once More to the Breach. Right. And they're all compelling. Why? It doesn't actually have to do with how he's performing it. It has to do with the words. So long as he performs them with some meaning, it's powerful and it tracks. And so yeah. he can, once more to the breach, dear friend, or he can, once more to the breach, dear friends. And he's got, the, you know, he's better right. actor than I am if you didn't know that. It's just a, a really compelling take on on Shakespeare that has stuck with me because I think in some sense, if you can perform the lines with any sense of meaning, it's almost idiot proof for well, you. But here's the thing I sort of want to, here's the twist to that, which is last year we watched Michael Fassbender's Macbeth and it had Michael Fassbender and I think Marion Cotillard, however say her name. They brought great, and they, had, they stripped down the play mm-hmm. and they brought psychological realism to it. And it, I hated it. It didn't work. It didn't track. It exposed weaknesses even in the play. Like just why is Macbeth suddenly doing this? Where if you just have some British guy hamming it up saying the lines, it actually just tracks <laughs> just fine. You don't even think about that stuff. Same thing here. We watched the Anthony Hopkins well, version. Well, you know, with the with the other, yeah, same. The contrast was the Patrick Stewart version. Yeah, and that ver- and Patrick Stewart, he's just he's kind of hamming it up. He's just saying the lines, and everybody else is having a gay old time. Just British thespian. Then this year, exact same thing happened. We watched the Anthony Hopkins version. It's cut down. It's it emphasizes trying to make some political or psycholo- modern psychological sense of it. Trump me tooism, Right, Trump me tooism, But then also just the way Hopkins is doing it, he's got a very specific take on it that the director probably had. Uh, What's-her-face, Emma Thompson, everybody has these really specific takes that they're bringing to it, and it all kind of just falls to pieces and you don't care. Then you have Ian McKellen, and he's actually not going for any kind of consistency as far as I see. He's just playing each scene almost mm-hmm. like almost like a a repertoire or giving a, you a yeah 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 a greatest hits collection like oh here's the part where i'm going to perform this famous speech and i'm going to do the heck out of it and now here's the part where i'm going to do this and i don't care whether it tracks i don't care and yet when he does it like that it tracks much better it tracks right amazingly and some of that's just you're able to fill in the gaps and you're able to i don't know what happens it's just sort of it is that magic. Of, yeah, I don't know like, what the answer to this or what this really, what this portends exactly, but lots of things. And I'm my head's kind of spinning right now trying to figure this out. Um, because this is difficult to get at the root of. I think a lot of it, I mean, most of it has to do with what Jake's saying about language. It is just Shakespeare's style. But then you even get into complexities there because Macbeth is different than Hamlet. And I think if you were to read a Macbeth speech, you would be able to say that's Macbeth versus that's Hamlet. So Absolutely. he does have cadences and stuff that mm-hmm. are with each character. Mm-hmm. Yep. What I think happens is that I was, so one thought I had, why is Shakespeare such a successful platform for high schools? Mm-hmm. Why can they perform Julius Caesar well? And you still kind of can get feeling. I remember watching a homeschool group do Julius Caesar and they were bad actors, but mm-hmm. they just read the play. Right. And you still get the feeling at the end, even if they're bad actors, they get the best person they ha- can find. He to pay, yeah. To make, to play Brutus. Yeah, and then they find get the best person they can find to play Antony, so he can give that speech at the end. So part of it is that, like Jake's saying, he idiot proofed it by having a noble. And even if you just say Brutus is a noble man, the way he wrote the speech, the rhetoric comes across, mm-hmm. and you still get it. And it, but it's not just all rhetoric. There is psychological realism in what he's writing. It's almost like the um, psychological realism is so inherent in it. Well, I'm sorry. I'll save this. I want, don't want to interrupt where you're going. Well, I think what you were about to say, what I, it's inherent in the language. Mm-hmm. And so you can't, it would be like reading a novel out loud. Right. Right. It, except the narration is somehow written into the conversation that's honorable. happening. He's an honorable man. Yes. Yeah. 
Which is, the uh, yeah, it's almost as though he's taken all of Tolstoy's ability for realism and Jane Austen's and commentary that the narrator has to add to the story, and mm. he just puts it into the language. And yet it still it tracks and works. Well, that's you the have thing. These asides like he didn't things have narration unless he was going to have an aside. He didn't right, yeah. have much action yeah. to tell the story with. Yeah. He couldn't, you didn't have CGI, yeah. you know, or pyrotechnics or. Yeah. But like I remember as they had Shakespeare in the park in Texas and we would go occasionally. Mm-hmm. And I remember the best performance we ever saw was one of the Henry plays. I think it was Henry the Fourth. And they were just very straightforward with their presentation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they hammed it up a little bit, gave it some medieval flair, you know, rolled right. their R's and stuff. But that's about as far as they went with it. Some of the most moving experiences I've had with Shakespeare is just reading Shakespeare with my wife. Yeah. Because we've done that sort of thing. Before. <laughs> yeah, I know. Brandon is the character he plays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've read, yeah, we, uh, we've, <laughs> we read The Tempest once together. Uh, it was actually very nice. <laughs> it was actually um, very nice. Okay. No further questions. I, I recommend couples do that. Uh, anyways, but then you watch, like, or even in this Ian McKellen version, like you get the feeling that Ian McKellen is bringing something to Lear, but really what he's doing is letting Shakespeare's words live. And as no, nerdy no. as that sounds, but one of the biggest disappointments I had was with Edgar in both of these movies. I think Edgar in the one was better than this one. And I think the problem with him was, and the very first time we see him when Gloucester is telling Kent, yeah, this is my son. And, right. and it was fun in the making, but oh man, he's what he is. The actor there is very reserved. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as he's like, gets to come out, he's like, ah, I'm Edgar and I'm bad. Mm-hmm. You're like, that's, you're putting too much of your interpretation yeah. into this. It's, it's, uh, what I want to, uh, it's like, if you think about a classic song from the American, or even just like yesterday or white Christmas or something like that, you don't want to dress those up too much. You, yesterday, for example, it's a, an acoustic guitar and it's some strings and you listen to it, and it's really nice. And the lyrics yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. They're so simple. They're so powerful. They're so perfect that they do all the work. And if you start, you know, adding a bunch of techno or a bunch of, if you overdo it, if you oversell it, it actually takes away from the inherent power that's already there. And I just, I don't know exactly how to put my finger on it, but I think there's something there. Yeah, it's weird to say something, it's weird to say this about, you know, Shakespearean Elizabethan English, but it's there's a simplicity to it that is best just sort of unadorned. It's just best, yeah, by itself. Without... Well, it's all, it's like it's poetry too. It has to be approached just as recital. Like it's not you try and bring too much of yourself to it. It's almost like we always want to talk. We we always talk about Shakespeare being humble craftsman. It's almost like the actors that perform Shakespeare. It's almost like that humility is built into Shakespeare. This is going to sound corny, maybe, but it's like it's built into it such that you have to approach him with humility. You have to have deference to him. If you try and really dig deep <laughs> into the character, you know, like Marlon Brando would or something like that, if you try and uh, really find the the core, the heart of the character, you're you're almost going to mess it up. Because he tells you what He already is. has it. It's yeah, there in the exactly. words. Just it's say the words. Yeah, just, just say the say words. Say the words and it's all there. And someone yeah. like if McKellen you, is you, just going to say the words. If you don't respect him enough to just trust him and say the words, then you're just going to screw it up. And, you know, that's really it. That is, I think, the genius of it is it's all there in the words. Yeah. We did it, guys. Yeah, I, we got to the bottom. I feel like we actually made a breakthrough. I don't know. No, it, I, think, <clears throat> I think we did. And another thing that people forget with Shakespeare is he is 
in the tradition of theater. And yes. so the way he would have seen theater at the time would have been, it wouldn't have been these small indie quiet films where a lot of the psychology is just in the expression of the face and the agony of the movement of the... He left nothing to question. Yeah. He put it all, all all there in the words. Why? Because yeah. people were up in the grandstands and they couldn't see the yep. expressions on people's so, faces because there were no close-ups, because yeah. there was no... There were no pyrotech. There were there was no way to tell the story with action on a small stage. Yeah, everything had to be told with words. Now you would have and big, words that yeah. could be projected. Yeah, to people far away over a rowdy, ruckus body, as we like to say, crowd body, body, and so with you know bodies. He had to overcome. If you think about the obstacles he had to overcome, he's got you know the rich people. He's got the poor people. He's got everything. And he's got a stage and he's got actors maybe of limited ability. And he has to tell a compelling story and keep people's attention, make them laugh, make them cry, make them feel something, a whole a range of emotions if he can, and then make leave them excited about the next thing that he's going to come up with. Yeah. And, you know, that's, and so he just put, he was a colossal genius. Uh-huh. And he put all of that genius to work in achieving those ends. And I mean, that's why it works. That's why high school, a homeschool, a group of, a troop of homeschooling kids who are bad at acting. Prats. Can I don't mind get, their, wars get their Shakespeare on <laughs> and it still works. Yes. And it doesn't just still work. It actually, it, it works. It works better sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just hear the words, even if they're poorly, like it really... I'm all for speaking poetry well, but sometimes it does bother me. Some of these teachers that try to say, you got to articulate your poetry. And mm-hmm. so da, 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 and da. Just like, just read the poem. Mm-hmm. Teach them to understand the poem and then they'll learn to read it better. That's, well, yeah. What I find is but, a lot of kids that aren't well-educated in poetry always want to overdo it. You know, it's just yeah. like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this like it's a poem. It's like, no, yeah. just read it like it's words and let the words do the work. So sometimes you just think, you, I sometimes get a feeling, and I won't name any groups of people this time, whatever, mm-hmm. that some people, when they're reading their poetry, are just enchanted by their faux British accent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is it and the British? Not, say what? Is it's it the, the British. Sorry, The Brad. British and their faux British accents. <laughs> those tea drinks. Yeah, those, Briti- <laughs> those Brits thinking oh, they can speak British. British. <laughs> I right there, you can speak your British. <laughs> <laughs> To be or not to be, that <laughs> is, that, is the question. Is that better, is that better for you? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> another thing that I don't think we've talked a lot about the theater, theatrical history. Mm-hmm. But you got to remember like in the Greek times, and this would have been still some of the theater that they would have inherited in early Britain. It was all like you had masks on the stage and it was all very, it wasn't these big realist performances. The important thing about that, though, is that it was all about the character's actions in particular. And so even with Shakespeare, there would have been something about the action of speaking that would go with that. So it wanted to be about this deep psychology that we're used to today. It wasn't Dostoevskian or James Joycean psychology in its depth, but it was still really deep psychology and had a lot of truths to it. And he really understood humans and he understood us. Was it theatrical? Was it completely the way that life plays out day to day, no. Does, does life ever seem like a Shakespeare play? No. But there's still truth and reality to what he's saying. And all the characters, I mean, he has these huge casts of characters, and yet they all seem real, even though they all seem a little theatrical as well. Mm-hmm. Which I'm really going to have a heyday with that coming up here soon. Uh, I just knew you were going there. We have his great inheritor coming up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Ready Player Two. I assume you're yes, talking about that. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's so right. that that's that's also a point. Just people should keep in mind <laughs> when you're reading Shakespeare and like Romeo and Juliet, they seem ham fisted, and I don't get what's going on. It doesn't seem like the real indie Juno dramas, com, rom coms that we're used to today. <sighs> Home skillet can't stand indie <laughs> Juno. Yeah, Rom's comes, comes and the answer to that, and why Shakespeare then doesn't really translate well into movies like that, because that was, if I remember right, that Leonardo DiCaprio Romeo and Juliet's pretty bad. <laughs> Not seeing anything but the opening scene that was yeah. enough for me to be like, yeah, no, the thing was radical. He's like, uh, yeah, I'm pulling, I'm, I, hand me my broadsword, and then he draws it, he grabs a shotgun, Brandon. Yeah, so stupid. <laughs> so. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyone who wants to write me an email and ask me for my story about the most awful night at the theater I had. My mom, bless her, she wanted to take me to see Shakespeare, so we went to see Taming of the Shrew, and it was going to be really fun. And then it was one of these postmodern renditions, and we ended up having to leave. Yuck. Because... We can imagine. Yep. It was awful. And so I say, leave Shakespeare alone. Let him be who he is. (laughs) Quit (laughs) trying to make him what he's not. (laughs) Let him be. (laughs) Let him be. Hashtag... Naked Shakespeare. Yeah, no, don't hashtag that. No, that's not good. <laughs> hashtag let him let him be Shakespeare. Yeah, let to be be let yeah. to be. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Let to be be. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's let a be be. Let a be be. <laughs> oh, a baby. Let a baby. <laughs> hey, baby. <laughs> Uh, all right, we solved Shakespeare. There you go. We never have to do Amazing. him again. No, without any Michael Bay analogies. Without, do we usually give a Michael Bay analogy? Oh, we did it in the, we did it in the last episode. We did, yeah. Oh, everybody will just have to wonder <clears throat> what we talked about. I wonder. Perhaps I explosions. Wonder. We definitely compared Shakespeare to Michael Bay. Right. It's good that nobody knows that we did that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was. It was what? so bad. I had to. My car had to have an accident, and my oh, computer was stolen. Why did our stolen. Patreon supporters just go to zero? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, this was great. Oh no, my computer's been stolen. Nah, I wouldn't resort to that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't instigate a scam on our listeners. Good. Yeah. What? Um. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, hey, people should check out the Ian McKellen version. They should. It's really good. It's worth it. Ian McKellen is a really good actor. Well, I always like to talk about the difference between British, the British school of acting and the American school of acting. The American school of acting, as as kind of invented in the later 20th century by Marlon Brando and then James Dean and all these movie actors, the Stravinsky method, I think they call it, where you try and get inside a character and understand him from the inside out and... You know, uh, you, you you won't sleep for a day because your character is supposed to be tired and all this kind of stuff. That's that's the American school of acting. Okay. I'm just thinking, put the lotion on its skin yeah. when you say get inside a character. <laughs> get inside a character, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Buffalo Bill, it's yeah. awesome land. Perfect example of getting inside a character. Gross, Brandon. Um, You're welcome, Nathan. Uh, British people, they say the words. Laurence Olivier famously started by designing a makeup nose for his character, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe that's not exactly right, but it's something like that. You know, he'd figure out what the externals were. What am I going to wear? How am I going to talk? What's the accent going to be? He'd figure out all the externals, and then he'd let the psychology take care of itself. He'd just say the, just say the words the best he can. Anthony Hopkins generally actually is a great pr- practitioner of that. I think he probably would have done a good job, could be a good leer, but the director kind of, I'm going to guess, misled him in this. I would say case. in that particular version of Lear, he's the best thing. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. He's go got there. consistency to the way he tries to perform Lear. 
I don't like the choices he made. And if they were his choices, then I think he made the wrong ones. Yeah. He also had a lot cut out. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't Uh, like him groping all his daughters. Yeah. That just felt like a tacky modern person. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Instead, with this Lear, actually what you end up getting is what what, what was missing in the Anthony Hopkins, which was present in this one, was that the deterioration of the family happens when these daughters stop respecting their father, even Mm. in his dotage. Yes, his dotage. Yep. And the one daughter respects him and will not flatter him. With my kids, we were just reading a psalm that where God hates flatterers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that he particularly mentions that Mm -hmm. in the psalm. And here you see that played out. A biblical principle of life. God hates flatterers. These daughters flatter. This one doesn't. Bad things happen to the two. Mm-hmm. Bad things happen to the other Technically, one. Technically, bad things happen to the other one. But at least she's the good daughter. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Virtue really works out in the world of King Lear. So there we go. Yeah. It's a story of children learning to respect their fathers once they're dead. Dead. <laughs> once the stage is littered with yeah. corpses. <laughs> and there's a lot of things you can get out of this play. You can go and buy yourself if you're really fascinated in all the ins and outs of all the technicalities of the language. And the parallelisms between the Earl of Gloucester and Lear and what the fool might mean and all these wonderful things that you can actually get and see the beauty of the way he structures a play mm-hmm. because he was highly, highly detailed in his, the way he would structure and the parallelisms he would put into these things. It's beautiful stuff, which comes through the rewriting process and all this stuff you can which talk. Which is insane without Microsoft Word. How yeah. You, uh, I, I, you, you just do it, man. Blue pins. Anyways, you can go and you can buy yourself the art in Shakespeare <coughs> if yes. you love Shakespeare yeah. that much. If you're as big a nerd as I am there, I'll just say it. If you love Shakespeare so much that your love actually needs to be diminished a little bit. No, 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 no. If you love Shakespeare so much that you want a commentary copy mm-hmm. that you can consult and then have a better copy that you read. Right. If your commentary copy, if you prefer that to be about 10 times the length of right. the actual play. If you've got a fireplace that maybe needs some kindling. Easy, guys. <laughs> I just made a concession ten, ten to times. you. Can't you make a concession to me? <laughs> 10 times is actually kind of an underestimate, I think. Right. It's for like 20 times. Oh, yeah. let me not be mad. <laughs> Sharper than Please, a super tooth. It's not mad. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Donor shoutouts, guys. That's all there is to do. Donor I think shout-outs. that was a good episode, Nathan. Bravo. Well, Duran, it's not over yet. Jake's not depressed after because you're depressed. That's because true. Because it's your birthday. Yeah, <laughs> that's what happened last time, folks. <laughs> you got to miss. I was depressed. With my not because I'm getting older. I don't mind getting older. I was just depressed about something else. It was dumb. Whatever. He was depressed. That I don't remember it was his birthday until that night. Yeah, <laughs> I was depressed because Brandon. I didn't send him a text earlier. Yeah. yeah, some of the texts I got depressed me, you know. Yeah. Guys, it can be put off no longer. Donor shout outs. Oh, no. Here we go. Mm, I want you to both shout them out like your By cows. Shouting. Like your cows. Like your cows. Yeah. <laughs> mm, the mighty, mi- mighty, mighty Mason. Mighty, mighty Mason. Moo. <laughs> <laughs> The immortal Chelsea E. There we go. Moo. 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 Nathan, not me. Moo. Moo. Uh, little uh, Jimmy Beam and little Moo. <laughs> this might be the greatest donor shout out of all time. Uh, Lily of the Valley. 
Brennan's like some kind of British cow. And Ernestor the lovebird. Moo. Jenny Z. Moo. 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 What was that? Jenny's. Robert and Rhonda the lovebirds. Moo. Uh, John and Jill, Little Baby Max. Moo. Moo. The incandescent, beautiful, wonderful Meredith. Moo. Moo. Uh, the Keith Master. Moo. Moo. David's. Um, this is it, you Alan Rigman <laughs> cow? I'm moo. <laughs> moo. 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 Uh, <laughs> <laughs> David's mighty been trekking. Did we do them? Moo moo. <laughs> My beloved mother. Moo moo. Ah, jumping Joanna. The moo. The new. The new edition. Yeah. Moo. Hey, thanks, Joanna. Thanks, Joanna. Moo. Or is it Joanna? Joanna. Johanna. Johanna. I assume it's. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, J O H A N N A. Where's she from? Johanna. I think she's from Merry Old um, America. Oh, Merry Old uh, London, I think. Oh, hi. Hey. She probably Johanna. appreciates our, our authentic <laughs> accents. Hello, Let's give out her exact address. Why don't we? She's in front What's her nickname? They don't always have to be alliterative. She's just the wonderful. The jubilant. Mm. Super heroic. Jubilant. And the jubilant. That's pretty good. Joanna. Jubilant Joanna. Ma- or should I say Mua? Moo. Thank you. Rockin' Ryan and Jumpin' Joy for Judy. Moo. Danny the Dude. Moo. Moo. DJ Sammy G. Jane Katie, you were cold and love cheese and our wonderful family. Moo. I'm cold. Moo. Oh, I thought you were a ghost cow. I never left your house. Hey, did did How are those things moving by themselves? Did the episode where we talk about that beautiful painting get lost or did that go out? I don't know. I was I saw the beautiful painting in your office when I was getting the equipment today, and I wondered whether that went out. I have no idea. Junia painted you a beautiful painting, though. Yeah, she did. Junia, we talked about it for a really long time, and we talked about Trey and. I just don't remember whether that went out or not. Yeah. But Jane, Katie, her cold and love cheese have a wonderful family. We did. We didn't talk about that. We talked about it before the were Yeah, episode. yeah, yeah. But we came back up again. Yeah, Junia sent. Uh, a, I'll be sad if they didn't get to hear that whole big thing. I think maybe they did, but okay, good. I don't well, know. we love you, Jane, Katie. Yeah. Whatever was the end result. Whatever. Yeah, and Junia sent an awesome picture of like a. Uh, creature surrounded by grass it's their dog guess what i would not be opposed to a picture <laughs> well you weren't her special friend bro. i know i wasn't her special friend i'm nobody's special friend no the, the phantoms <laughs> i'm isolated and cold dear brad like dying star yeah man that guy <laughs> uh we got to finish these donor shout outs brandon you are isolated and cold like a drying star it's true <laughs> a drying star it's a, it a very star. wet star yeah. i'm like dumbledore i'll be friendly to everybody but i'll let nobody really get close yeah except for your brother yeah spoilers Actually, um oh weird eric <laughs> yeah interesting <laughs> eric and cat or no uh benny and dana t did we I do like them? where that's going huh go no. ahead <laughs> moot who's my grindelwald <laughs> 
<laughs> no. The Phantom. Phantom. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, is Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds and little baby Moo. Silas. Moo. Uh, Professor X and Lady X. Moo. Moo. All right, guys. That's done our shout outs. I feel like the episode's coming a little short. Hey, great. Any other bang for the buck we can offer people on Shakespeare? Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happened last week. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, boy. Um, Bang for their buck on Shakespeare. Quartos and folios, Brandon. You want to tell us about quartos and folios? Oh, they can go listen to that episode for that. The, ep- the other episode was much longer. This is the other Shakespeare episode? The one that we lost. It was much longer? It was like two hours. How long is this one? Not sure what it'll come into after editing. We are under an hour right now, though. Well, but under an hour. It's just, sorry, guys. If you wanted more, this is the, we we talked it through on mic already, and it was hard to, we can't recreate it. It's yeah. hard. Blame the thief of the Windy City, the thief of Blame memory. the Phantom. I think Blame that if Phantom. people want to do a fun experiment, they should go and they could read a Marlowe play and a Johnson play, mm-hmm. and then read a Shakespeare play, and they will see why Shakespeare stands the test of time. What they'll see is with Ben Johnson, they're going to have this courtly, high language writer. Right. With Marlowe, they're going to have someone who's a little more purple with their prose. And so they're going to get to see kind of why Shakespeare meets in that middle ground where magic, magic. There. Yeah, no, seriously. You want to understand why the Beatles are great, you should listen to the turtles and the animals. Yeah. And then you'll be like, oh, so there the you Beatles go. were cut above. So the bang for your buck is a little bit of a advice on how you can go and improve your literary discernment. Now, which plays should they read by Johnson and Marlowe? Brandon, you might as well tell oh, That's a good question. Oh, Johnson. Hmm. I don't know Johnson as well, frankly. Well, I think with I think the one you mentioned, The Jew of Malta, right? For, for Marlowe, Marlo, sure. If you like. Uh, you can also read Tamburlaine. Marlowe's pretty naughty. Um, yeah, that's the problem. Johnson can't be. So can Shakespeare. I mean, I think that, that probably. My phone. The Alchemist, I think, or Vopone. Those are the two famous ones. I think The Alchemist is not a bad one to go to. Um, if you wanted to have some fun with Marlowe, you could read Faust. Yeah. Um, but I don't like Faust personally. I don't know. Um, yeah. Man in his humor. If I, I think Vopone, the two to Fox, read. The Alchemist. Bartholomew yeah. Fair. The two to read would be The Alchemist or Vopone by Ben Johnson. Both of those are fine. Mm-hmm. Or Vopone. I don't know how you actually would say it. Um, and then with Johnson, I would just read The Jew of Malta. Yeah. Because then you can go and you could read me, um, The Merchant of Venice. Yeah. Two great <laughs> takes on Semitism, historically speaking. So there you go. Hey, everybody. The Bookening today was uh, performed by Jacob Menzel, Nathan Albertson, Brandon Chastain. Go to at the Bookening on all the social medias and you will enjoy some fine social media content from us. Uh, you can also support us at patreon.com forward slash the Bookening. Sign up for any amount of money. How do you like money, Brandon? How do I like it? I like it when it's dry. Okay. And usually in my wallet or in my bank account. I don't like it wet. Preferably not wet. Not burnt. Okay. Yeah, that's how I like it. Normal. Dry. Green. Green. Yeah, I don't want it to be faded so it can't be red. That's how I like it. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> ask an intelligent question. Did you want me to say shaken, not stirred? <laughs> no, I don't know. I, didn't. <laughs> I just like to ask questions and see what happens, as uh, our friend David found out on um, the 
Flannery O'Connor episode. That was a fun episode. People should go listen to that one if they want to hear an, an atypical booking episode with a member of Close Reads. Yeah. And we'll be back next week with more booking. Yeah. 